Welcome to the Devil's Advocate Podcast. I'm Shervin House. And I'm Payment Batoni. And this is a podcast where we discuss controversial topics in society, politics, etc. Please note that none of the opinions, views, or arguments presented in this podcast are necessarily our own views or beliefs. As the name of the podcast suggests, oftentimes we will be making arguments for sides that we ourselves don't necessarily align with. In fact, the aim of the podcast is to offer nuanced and fair arguments for both sides of each issue, regardless of our own opinions on the matter. So here's how this works. This wonderful $2 coin, uh, Canadian coin, I should add, uh, decides who argues which side of the argument. We have to be both prepared to defend both sides, even though we might not necessarily agree with one side or the other. We're going to flip this coin and we're off to the races. Fantastic. Today's topic is universal basic income. Yay! Super also exciting. known as a UBI. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so basically, just to give some context, in case you're not aware what this is, it's basically a proposal to give every citizen of a country, or is it every resident? We can say either or. Either or. Either or. Every resident or every citizen of the country uh, to pay them uh, on a regular basis so that everyone has some sort of an income, regardless of whether they have a job, what kind of a job they have. So, for example, famous politician Andrew Yang was proposing this in the 2020 presidential campaign uh, in the United States. Uh, his proposal was to pay every American $1,000 a month uh, through this UBI program, and this is every American. Uh, so that's just one example. Obviously, there could be a lot of different ways where this can be implemented. But yeah, that's what we're talking about today. Uh, do you have anything to add before we get into uh, the, the key point is that this is not something that would be uh, conditioned. This, uh, the key point is that every citizen would receive it. Sure. You can provide some sort of like income-based condition, but yeah. broadly speaking, it, it differs from other sort of uh, social services where it's like specific to food stamps or, or a particular type. This is like yeah. purely universal. Exactly. All right, moments of truth. All right, so uh, let's uh, walk through how this exactly works. So we're going to... How about you? You call it, actually. I'm, okay. pretty, I'm pretty good at flipping coins. You call it. Uh, we have heads or tails. So the bear is the tails, I guess. Yes. Uh, if you get it correctly, so if, if you say heads and hence come, so I'm just going to flip it, put it here. If it's heads and you said heads, you have to argue for it. If, sure. If the other way around, I have to argue for it. All sure. Right? Sure. Make sense? Yes. All right. Uh, so call it when it's in the air. Okay. All right. No, you didn't call it. When uh, it's in the air, you have to call it. All right. So well, given the size of me, I'm going to well, don't, go. Don't, don't call it yet. So I don't influence it. That's how okay. it works. Ready? Bear. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Bear. So you yes. have to argue for it. I'm arguing there for it. There we go. Interesting. Oh, surprise, surprise. Surprise, That's surprise. so sad. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, obviously don't give away uh, what our own right. thoughts on the matter is because yes, yes, yes. that's we not the point. absolutely neutral. That's not the point. The point is okay. to offer fair arguments exactly. on both sides. Um, but, yeah, so how about this? Uh, since you're four, you go first. Give us some of your main points and we'll go from there. Sounds good. Um, so the purpose is, is fairly simple. Yeah. Uh, it ranges from a range of economic and, and you know, utilitarian arguments all the way to philosophical and, and what it means to be a citizen of country. Yeah. First and foremost, what it, uh, UBI would do is right off the bat is, is tackle poverty head on. Mm. There are 
many cases, whether it's the Alaska uh, Permanent Fund dividend or whether it's the, the, I think, the 1970s experiment in Manitoba with respect to paying a fixed income to, to a set of population, this almost often, especially for the low-income families, has a direct impact in terms of lifting them out of poverty because it covers essential services, uh, you know, food, education, so on and so forth. And it also enables them to, to invest a lot more into... Um, education or healthcare or or things that like pay dividend in terms of lifting them from um, uh, from their current socioeconomic standpoint. Uh, it's obviously from an economic standpoint, it can act as a great stimulus, especially in in smaller towns where you basically produce consumer markets because people now have potentially disposable income to spend on things. Um, it's it's arguably you know. Uh, it arguably functions much better than the welfare state, which, you know, you actually give people the option to spend their money however they want. So you rip the benefits of the free market, free consumer market, however it is. Uh, I'll, I'll add some caveat that you probably want to, you know, still keep the, for instance, the Canadian healthcare system going. Mm. It, healthcare might be the one area that, that differentiates. But for the rest, where is food, where is other services, you could probably rely on the free market doing its job quite well. Um, it's a much more simplified welfare system. Arguably, it could replace a lot of the stuff where a lot of the current government budget goes into um, administration, figuring out who's eligible, so on and so forth. And also, given the fact that every citizen receives it, it doesn't really produce those types of incentives where it's like, you know, like, for instance, if you're on unemployment, but you, like, get a part-time job, then you have to, like, come off of unemployment, so you might have, like, some some adverse incentive. It doesn't do any of that. Everyone sure. qualifies. I'll, I'll just throw in as the last argument before passing it on to you. As you know, my background is in AI, and we're likely going to see a lot of automation happening. Yeah. Now, I don't broadly disagree with, with the argument that, like, you know, we're going to destroy some jobs and create new ones. Yeah. But the pace of innovation is here is huge, and you probably cannot, you know, retrain um, some copywriter to be, like, suddenly a, a very... Um, um, skilled programmer right off the bat. So, sure. so this type of income kind of covers that transition period. Okay. Off to you. First of all, uh, paying money to everyone is not necessarily a great counter-poverty poverty strategy or anti-poverty strategy. Uh, for example, uh, we've seen uh, giving stuff like food stamps or medical aid uh, is usually a better way to do it. Uh, in fact, a lot of times when you give uh, money to people, uh, they not, don't tend to always make the best decisions possible, uh, at least not everyone. Uh, so that's that's the first uh, issue that uh, I could bring up about uh, implementing a universal basic income because, again, it's very important to mention that it's a basic income, right? So it has to be in the form of cash, at least the way we're talking about it right now, and that could be problematic. Uh, number two is that the money has to come from somewhere, right? The money doesn't grow on trees. Uh, now, we can, I'm sure we'll get into uh, what plans uh, you're proposing, uh, where the money can come from, but that's uh, an issue that needs to be figured out. Uh, number three is that uh, uh, potentially giving everyone money for free removes the incentive for people to work because if you're getting money, uh, and of course, this is not going to apply to everyone, but I feel like there are a lot of people out there, uh, or actually, I can definitely tell you, there are a lot of people out there who, if they give get a little bit of money from the government, uh, they're going to be happy with that. They're not going to do anything. They're just going to sit, sit around all day, play video games, do whatever, right? Uh, so that's an issue. Uh, we don't want to remove the incentive for people to work because a lot of times uh, work isn't just even about making ends meet. It also... Uh, provides a sense of purpose to a lot of people. It also uh, gives them uh, some sort of a medium where they can uh, develop their skills or uh, do interesting things uh, with their career. 
so that's if if we remove that incentive, uh, that could cause other issues, particularly when it comes to healthcare. Uh, or, or I should say, uh, mental health. There we go. Uh, number four is. Uh, as you mentioned, automation. This is something that we're gonna get into probably a lot uh, because this is one of the main reasons. One of the main reasons why uh, universal basic income is so prevalent nowadays, whereas uh, beforehand maybe it wasn't thought about as much. Uh, and a very key point is to take into account that just because automation is going to replace some jobs, it doesn't mean that new jobs won't be created as a result of it. Uh, and in fact, if you look at history, you can see numerous examples of uh, this occurring, particularly when there is a huge shift in the industrial landscape, right? So uh, we'll get into that. I have some examples that we can talk about. And of course, those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it, right? So if you're, if you're not aware of uh, how people were perceiving other industrial changes uh, in the past, uh, you know, we might be uh, making the same mistake as them. Uh, number five is uh, that paying everyone money, uh, you're putting uh, some inflationary pressure out there in the market uh, because uh, if you give everyone money, they have more money to spend. And if everyone has more money to spend, then the cost of goods and services will likely go up fairly soon. And as a result, you're kind of doing something that's kind of counterintuitive because you're paying people money, but then all the money that they had from before is worthless. So that could potentially be an issue. Uh, number six is that some employers may use this as an opportunity to pay less wages. So for example, uh, there are some jobs where tips are very prevalent. Uh, employers refuse to pay more than minimum wage because they argue that, hey, my waiter can just make a lot of money from tips, right? I don't have to pay anything more than minimum wage. And something like that could be, not, obviously not to that drastic level, uh, but you could see employers paying less wages as a result of this, which could again, uh, make the whole thing kind of counterintuitive. Because if you receive the benefit, but let's say you make a little bit less from your job, then you might just break even, right? So what was even the point of this? And last but not least is insufficient targeting that we need to talk about. And that's the fact that if you're paying it to everyone, which is the whole idea of universal basic income, you're also going to be paying it to billionaires. You're going to be paying it to people who are millionaires or even people who are well off. Maybe they're not millionaires, but they're doing well. They have a good job. They don't really need the extra money, but you're paying everyone, right? Uh, and a lot of those people just don't need it. So maybe that money could be better spent elsewhere, uh, maybe in infrastructure, maybe in other areas maybe for uh, other benefits, uh, or maybe just it could be used to help people who really need it, right? So uh, the idea of paying everyone the same, uh, it may not be the best way to go about it. But yeah, that's, those are my points. Uh, but yeah, uh, which one do you want to awesome. get into? Uh, let's go, let's, let's first tackle the ones that like we both discussed, sure. like for instance, addressing poverty. Okay. Um, and yeah, go, go both sides. Of it. So, so my thought process about universal basic income and poverty, mm -hmm. even... Also, a number of cases, uh, I think I mentioned the, the ALSCO Fund, the uh, uh, Manitoba one. There's also a number of uh, these studies in, um, uh, I think, Africa. Yes, basic okay. income. Uh, many, Finland has implemented one. Sure. Uh, a pilot project is... Canada had a trial run as well. Ontario. Yeah, in the 70s. Uh, that was the Manitoba one. Oh, that's the Manitoba one, yeah. yeah. There's also a study by Give Directly, an organization in Kenya that, that yeah. has also reported these things. So mm. there's a lot of ongoing studies. There sure. was, I, I suspect there was one in LA uh, mm. by Andrew Yang. Unfortunately, it had some 
um, strings attached in terms of what po- I see. sort of population received it, which, you know. Yeah, that could be good, Like, bad or good in the polarized uh, political environment of the U.S. that basically, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. everyone's going to point out. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, uh, but nevertheless, the, the key point is um, there are several advantages that UBA provides. Okay. And perhaps there could be a lot of more nuance and there might be programs that uh, tackle poverty more effectively. Okay. But the uh, the first advantage is that it's just hard cash. Yeah. And and that in many ways, one, enables the individual in poverty mm-hmm. to have more agency over what to do with the money. Sure. But it also means that the provider of the service would be playing within the free market. And I think mm. b- you and I both agree that, that within most contexts, free market yeah. is much more efficient than the government. Okay. Um, the other one is, and this is pro- arguably like the biggest issue with with all these programs, whether it's food stamps or 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 um, like like housing for the homeless, all, all of those ones. Yeah. Is that for one, you have to prove that you qualify. Yeah. Which that proving part is partly degrading to, to the individual to have to like yeah. admit that that they're in this situation, but also it, it somewhat provides this incentive that. Uh, you might want to stay, stay in, in that yeah, environment in for order sure. to receive the benefit. Whereas this is like without strings attached. And mm. so um, this benefit, you would not lose it if you move outside of poverty. Uh, yeah, so if I can just uh, chime in on that. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it is true that uh, some people might... Uh, so the way the welfare system is set up right now, yeah, some people would say, why would I go and work full time and make like $500 more a month than just stay where I am, right? Uh, so yeah, that is true. Uh, but... The, the same applies with universal basic income, right? You could have a lot of people who are getting it with no string attached, and they say, why would I work? I'm getting money, right? So that particular point, I don't know if it really applies because it's kind of the same in both situations. Like uh, putting universal basic income, uh, maybe I understand the dignity part, uh, but the part uh, regarding people who are not incentivized to go and work because of welfare, that's not going to be addressed by putting in universal basic income instead? Because you're still getting money from the government, right? Yes and no. There, there's like probably the, the, the most recent example of that type of adverse incentive was in the COVID stimulus package. Sure. Like, especially in Canada. Yeah, I yeah. remember like there was a requirement which basically meant that in order to receive $2,000 a month, yeah. uh, you had to have a, a part-time income less than $1,000. $5,000 in the past year it was, I think. And I, and I, re- I think it was also like contingent on something that like how much your income is at that moment. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was just. I think so because uh, I didn't qualify because of my oh, really? research stipend and and the other income I had. Oh, interesting. So, but like most of our friends were students at the time, so they were cool. Yeah. Like I remember talking to um, a mutual friend of ours, sure, uh, sure. and and she was describing how like basically she lowered her hours. Um, um, oh, I see. I see. Because okay. then she would qualify and an ag. Oh yeah, yeah. It is. Uh, so the what it was, uh, I remember now. It was that you have to have your hours reduced because of COVID. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. what it was. So and if I, you're like, losing out on any money, then they will put, put, give you the money, basically. Yeah, but I, the, if I remember correctly, the weird part was like the cap for like loss was like a thousand, whereas the package itself was two thousand. Yeah, so yeah, yeah something like, like this that. Arbitrage amount in. Between. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and and so for instance, that's like an example of, uh, of an adverse incentive being created because like even optimizing for finances unless you know you can like walk Hmm. off to google and like make six figures right away yeah Uh, there's an adverse incentive especially if you're like working minimum wage jobs to not participate in the economy and still be be better this is like again like no No, i understand what you're saying but uh surely the solution to that is just to fix those issues right so if there's an issue with incentive with the way welfare is set up surely the solution is to go and fix that right so for example if there was a discrepancy of a thousand dollars surely the solution would be to make it two thousand dollars so the discrepancy isn't there but that is true. Um, Putting in UBI, does that really solve it? Well, it solves it in the sense that you, um, 
in adding all that additional complexity and all these additional rules, mm. you're doing two things. One is you're potentially making it more difficult for people to access the money. Okay. But you're also making it more expensive for you to provide this because you need all this system of bureaucracy and, and administration to actually manage it. Whereas Uber okay. is fairly simple. It's like, you know, uh, for the sake of argument, we can say only citizens receive it or yeah. only like permanent residents receive it. It's like you have a, you have like a SIN number, you have like proof of uh, mm. residency. That's it. You, like, you There's have still account. some administrative steps needed. For example, what if someone is dead and you're collecting on behalf of them or something like that? Exactly. So there, there's still some, but yeah, it's less. I no, agree. Th- there would be some challenges. Yeah. Um, I suspect there would be a better program addressing poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still an argument to go for UBI for all the other benefits. We <laughs> sure, sure. Um, is there anything you want to respond in, with respect to poverty before we move on to the... Uh, I guess next item you mentioned, which was how do we fund? So, uh, so let me get this straight. Uh, are you arguing that uh, UBI helps lift people out of po- poverty? Is that uh, the main gist of what you're saying? It doesn't lift it. Okay. Uh, in the same sense that, like, like you still need a number of other factors for like offering mm. social mobility. It yeah. increases uh, the rate at which that can happen, and it and it makes it easier for people yeah. uh, to want meet their basic needs, and by extension, be able to do a number of other stuff that that would otherwise lift them. Like mm. well, because like any range of UBI we're talking about, it like it doesn't even uh, equate uh, like full time minimum wage work. Okay. Um, all the numbers. I mean, could you could you could set the rules, right? You're for it. You could say this is the best way to do it. So let's do this. Uh, way. It's true, but most of the the discussions so far that have happened from anyway proposing. Yeah, it's very it's, low. It's, with, it's within the seven to twenty thousand dollars. Exactly, and like, uh, yeah, yeah, is also the extreme. Uh, of yeah. Record. Um, I think a thousand a month is the most realistic one. Yeah, yeah something uh, like that, which is like you know. It can go a long way yeah. in addressing uh, those like essential needs, but you're not, you know, you're not balling on a thousand dollars a month. Yeah, uh, and also uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, and get ready for this, folks. This is the cancelable thing coming in. Uh, but a lot of times, poverty isn't just about not having money, right? Because it's not about how much money you earn; it's about how much money you keep, right? So if you're if you're making ten thousand a month and you spend it all on drugs, right? You have no money still, you're still in poverty, right? So it's not just about giving people cash. I f- uh, a lot of the poverty issues will not be addressed by that, is what I'm saying. Uh, maybe some of it, but not a, a big portion of people in poverty will still be in poverty. I don't think it would eradicate poverty. I think that's, yeah. that's a correct assessment. Uh, I, however, think, and I don't have like any stats written here. That so are you saying it helps with poverty? But it, I think it certainly improves in the sense of providing access to those basic services. I mean, like, like, uh, like which ones? Well, for instance, uh, imagine if you, instead of like food stamps specifically, you had some like UBI effectively covering those. Um, you have again as an essential requirement, which yeah. is like food on the table. Um, and you're providing that to the individual at uh, the option to be able to buy it. That's, for instance, addressing... But you're assuming people always make the best decision uh, Some people will, will, will uh, certainly try and ab- abuse it or... Like, Not even abuse. Like, let's let's say if you're a drug addict, right? Yeah. You get $1,000. Uh, how likely are you to go and spend the whole 1000 on drugs the first day? Probably. Uh, you know what I mean? Likely, yeah. yeah. And then what but, happens for the rest of the 30 yeah, days? Yeah, the, the issue is... That is correct, but those yeah. are like the in the in the what I would describe as the edge cases. It's like the society as a whole uh, is is what's at, in concern here. But it is honestly, I would argue people who are good with money are the edge case. Most people are not good with money, not maybe well, not to the degree what of. I mean, like what? Yeah. Yes, yes. There's probably like a very small sample of people who can take this a thousand. Come, come closer, please. I, yeah, a little, oh, little okay. closer. Yeah. Uh, there's there probably like a, a, a subs a very small subset of the population that can like. 
um, uh, take this a thousand dollars a month and, and do some wizard investing with it and turning it into like millions of dollars after yeah. three years. Um, but uh, that's to, not what I mean. To by me, to me if if somebody like if this a thousand dollars is used by a family who's who's fundamentally poor, yeah, but is now able to actually feed their children, so you don't have any issues from malnutrition arising, or if this is like something that allows somebody who's lost their job yeah. to have a bit of a buffer room so they can retrain for a new job, mm. I think those are still like positive social outcomes, even though these people might not be exactly like that. The, those uh, would be um, would be, uh, but the issue is how do you know that's how they're going to spend it? Whereas if you give them food stamp, they can only get food with it. Do you know? Do you see the difference? This is not. Yeah, this is not targeted. I agree with you that like uh, it limits that targeting. There, there's obviously a good argument that like you you want to incentivize a particular behavior if especially you're tackling poverty. Sure. Um, uh, the the difficulty is. well, for one, I remember reading that like that the majority of the U.S. stimulus uh, within households that are considered blo- below the poverty line was like uh, spent on food and clothing and, okay. and shelter as a third item. So there is some some preliminary evidence that like this in, was a in study ag- or uh, um, what was it? The only issue why I don't have it written is that I yeah. remember it was uh, somebody specifically on the Bill Maher debate show like oh, okay, okay, mentioned yeah, sure, it. Right. Could be like a completely. That's fine. We we'll accept it. We we'll accept um, it. But nevertheless, uh, there's that component of. Um, well, in some capacity, it's kind of like welfare, okay. but but with the respect for individualism. Okay. Okay. Uh, you could argue that like like uh, any of us being like like in, in whatever income range, we might make poor choices with that income. Range. Sure. Um, yeah, it's not just for you, poor you, people. A lot of people. Yeah, like yeah. That. You always have to like like give some ability some level of agency to the individual um and and have that risk of them spending it on something that's probably not optimal for them but aren't we trying to do what's best for everyone uh like you can you can you can only maximize it in aggregate over the entire society you can't really maximize it at the individual level Um, but then uh, how would you uh say that universal basic income is better across society than the way welfare is set up right now well it goes now back to one uh it comes with no strings attached so it doesn't yeah. have those same set of requirements for you to stay where you are but why is that necessarily benefit. better though um we for instance we mentioned the example of um the covid stimulus and how a, a, yeah. a good number of the yeah well we talked about this it. that's yeah, not necessarily yeah. a case where you want to replace it with universal basic income that's a case where you want to address those discrepancies and maybe change the numbers around or something right so that the incentive isn't created to abuse the system my, my counter to that is is universal basic income. We could come up with some more complex uh, solution that's yeah. more optimal. But universal basic income, like its simplicity, is a feature hmm. that actually enables you to one like effectively implement it. Okay. And two, it doesn't require a lot of details to be able to administrate. Hmm. And so you you. For one, it's like a, uh, probably a much higher percentage of the funds you actually allocate to UBI will actually end up in people's pockets. Which, but conversely, uh, for any kind of social program, I would, you know, I would happily look at the stats to see what proportion of that goes to administrative sure. costs and other issues. Um, it, it brings the benefits of basically engaging the free market on mm. the consumer side for what you're trying to use, um, and like considering all of those. It's kind of like, like to me, UBI is in many ways like democracy. It's like it's not a perfect system, but it's 
in many ways superior to all the other ones we've got going. Is it because, not? Because it, it provides a number of things. Like you could argue that, oh, like like uh, in a democratic system, maybe we could like uh, do some s- sort of like testing where like people who are more informed get a mm. bigger say and, and probably that would be more optimal. But like yeah. as soon as we go into there, like the, the administrative cost and the risk of having to like, like deal with that is uh, such a huge barrier so that a simple solution is not necessarily, like a simple suboptimal solution could in many ways in in practicality be more optimal than a complex optimal solution that's very difficult to okay implement. so maybe we can get a little bit more uh, yeah. uh in we, we can go in that direction a little bit more so uh let's talk about uh some of the other issues that come with just p- paying people money uh, yeah. other than the fact that they may not spend it on the right things uh f- first of all what what are your proposals on where the money should come from it's not my proposal. But, oh, sure. But Any there, there, there are two ways to sure. go about this. One is about basically repurposing the current welfare state. Okay. And so, like, changing government's revenue to focus specifically on UBI. Mm. Um, depending on the amount of money you're looking at, you're talking about, like, uh, a 3 to 10% of GDP is spent, depending on, on what level of money you want to, like, inject as UBI into people. Um, by comparison, most Western governments operate at 15 to 20% of GDP in revenue. I'll wait. There are some deficits, so they're usually their spending is higher. But sure. um, for instance, I think in the United States, if you merge Medicare, Medicaid, and and some defense spending, am I out again? You're good. You're good. Okay. I just um, I just yeah. want to make sure. Yeah, you're close. Enough. Yeah. Um, like merge those. I think like to the tune of like two point one trillion dollars. Which okay. those three programs. I I don't. I, you could like even leave defense spending untouched. But those two key programs mm. together pretty much get there. Um, you could, if I remember the numbers correctly, uh, basically provide something in between seven to ten thousand dollars a year to every American. So seven thousand. So is that just the money repurposed from welfare, or is that additional money? That would be the option to to repurpose from welfare. It but has, repurposing doesn't cover all, like in nearly close to all. Even Andrew Yang's proposal, uh, only about a quarter of it, I think, was the welfare repurposement or something along those lines. I don't remember the exact number, but... Well, keep in mind, like, for instance, in the United States, we're doing well, like, 300 million people, um, $7,000 a year, that's about $2.1 trillion. Let's say you have $100 billion of administrative costs, which I would argue is, like, way overestimating. It's about $2.1 trillion. The U.S. government's revenue, I think, is, like, just short of $3 trillion. Sure, um, but that money is going other places too, right? The biggest investing uh, spending item uh, outside of welfare is defense. So, which is, so that's uh, what I'm asking. Yeah. Are you uh, proposing that we cut on defense? Are you proposing that we cut on no, this? No. So, so my proposal is is basically like if you don't want to ch- touch the tax system, sure. that's option one. Then you have to basically radically dr- repurpose every welfare uh, program you have to support UBI. You could potentially like take a chunk of UBI and invest in healthcare, so still maintain the healthcare system. But you need a lot more money than welfare because welfare is only a fraction of the population, whereas this is going to be for everyone. It would certainly be expensive, yeah. um, which which then brings up the idea of like potentially increasing taxes. Um, now, that's a doable idea in the sense that, um, for one, um, there are a number of things at play. For one, you will. Okay, I need, I need to structure this properly so so uh, uh, we can like go through each point. Sure. But basically. Um, we're we're likely gonna have to deal with higher taxes uh, at some point, okay? Because of the fact that the government has been running deficits, um, that you could argue that like like limits the budget for UBI. Yeah. But nevertheless, like uh, uh, taxes, every politician moves taxes at some point, and, sure. and we can talk about the practicality of moving taxes. Mm. 
I would probably agree with you that a more radical change in tax policy would not be accomplished in a practical sense. But if you sure. had the option to do it, it's certainly doable. And and uh, so what would that look like? Many Western societies, like for instance, United States, uh, had very high marginal tax rates for like high levels of income. Uh, I think under Eisenhower, that was the highest, which was at like ninety one percent. Give me a number. What are you What are you proposing? It, it Two depends, percent increase, three percent. It depends increase. on on what the budget is, but I, I would not be surprised if you can if you can amend the budget while slashing some of the welfare uh, other welfare services and merge them all under UBI. Yeah, they could probably get a balanced budget with like a single digit increase in taxes, uh, primarily on the wealthier. So do you want to? Yeah. So do you want to uh, tax higher at the highest bracket, or do you want to just tax higher at all brackets? Uh, it would be progressive, so so it would be um, like the lowest bracket would probably pay nothing, and then the highest. No, bracket. so the way it's set up right now, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, so there are numbers. Yeah, it, it is the way. Yeah, you're so saying. I'm saying like the lowest bracket would probably see no increase, whereas the highest bracket would see. Yeah, the so most increase. then the middle bracket will see a little bit of increase. Yeah, what yeah, you're yeah, saying? Like like. like yeah, so, convex, convex. so again, yeah, uh, I would challenge you with this. Someone who's making, let's say, seventy thousand a year, right? They have to pay a little bit more in taxes. Their money is getting inflated a little bit, right? Because there's the inflationary pressure by paying everyone money, and they get a thousand back. That person probably breaks even, if not loses a little bit of money. So why are we paying that person a thousand dollars instead of just keeping things the way they are? And where we are supporting a lot of people who need welfare, right? Why, why do we have to pay everyone money where a, a lot of people who get it don't see any benefit? And the other people, I mean, they were on welfare anyways, right? So what is the point of well, this? Well, keep system? in mind, if you're if you're like paying somebody $10,000 and then they pay $10,000 in taxes, you have in effect paid them nothing. Um, the, the, the nature of the transaction itself doesn't really matter that much. Um, no, but what I'm saying is, uh, so uh, the way the system is right now, right? You're arguing that replacing welfare the way it is right now with UBI would be better, right? Correct? Y- yes, it would be more simplified and we would have a range of advantages. That yeah, there will be some advantages, right? Uh, don't, don't That's what I'm struggling to see. What are the advantages exactly? Because people who are on welfare, they were getting money anyways, right? So yeah, they're getting money now, but they were getting money anyways. People who are not on welf- welfare right well, they now. they weren't really getting money. They were getting different services. And, and well, which, yeah, we talked about that, why those yeah, services yeah. might actually be better than money. But mm-hmm. uh, let, let's say those people are pretty much the same, but maybe they're getting cash instead of that, right? And so yeah. maybe that's one benefit you're talking about. But what is the benefit for everyone else? Like uh, someone who's making decent money, a little bit higher than average, nothing crazy. Yeah. What, what, what does that person see exactly? It provides several advantages. One, uh, it's, a, it's a social safety net. For whatever reason, if that income uh, trail is is yeah. disrupted, they have a guaranteed uh, thing. We have that already as well. It's called employment insurance. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it provides employment mm-hmm. insurance for uh, for six months. Other right? family yeah. members, for instance, if if uh, um, like the mother in the family is not working, there's a still like mm-hmm. some form of compensation for her otherwise volunteer work. Sure. Um, so so there are, there are still those that like you know, employment insurance wouldn't necessarily address. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, uh, just by having it for everybody, you, um, like, you you simplify the program, which allows for efficiencies, similar to how, like, universal healthcare system yeah. provides against, like, what the United States have. You could argue that, like, like somebody who's, like, in a, in a seven-figure income range 
could not only easily afford private insurance, but could easily afford all the operations out of pocket. And probably, yeah. like, I think it was Scott Galloway who said that, like, like he doesn't pay for insurance because, like, if you consider his healthcare spending mm. over time, um, given the fact that he's rich enough that he can, like, like muscle, it, yeah. muscle an operation, he's, he's actually saving money. Mm. Um, so, um, like, like, there are those advantages, too, um, which is, like, you know, by providing for everyone, the system works much more efficiently. And plus, it's not. But again, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. But, given that yeah. everybody's getting it, so there's a social element, the cultural element. But again, in that specific case, you were saying, right? We don't. What we don't do is give people money and say, okay, keep this in case you get sick, and then use it to pay for your doctor, right? What we do is we say, you have at least here in Canada, we say you're covered. Don't worry if you have cancer tomorrow out of nowhere, you're not gonna go bankrupt. It's gonna be covered. Right. Yeah. That's what we do, uh, and that's why it works. But whereas, if you just paid everyone money and said uh, you told them, okay, keep that money in case you one day have cancer, do you really think everyone would keep that money? Not necessarily, but the yeah. money is flowing uh, into your account. So, like, it's, it's kind of like a guarantee that that no matter what happens, you have a bare minimum purchasing power next month. No, but what I'm trying to illustrate with that yeah. point is that it doesn't it doesn't really work the same way as a universal healthcare, right? Because universal healthcare is a service that's available to everyone. Whereas universal basic income is the money that's given to you, but if you don't manage it properly, it could be it could be turned into nothing in no time, right? You could make the same argument about healthcare. If you don't use the services properly, you could either be a, a massive- How does that work exactly? You could either be a massive financial burden on the system by just like overreacting to everything and not taking good care of yourself, or- No, you we're talking about your risk of ruin, right? Like if, yeah. if if you if you develop cancer tomorrow, yeah, right, yeah, you're covered. You don't have to worry about well, where do I get the money for the operation right now, right? Whereas if someone you're paying them money every day, again, this is the I know it's a very extreme example, but it's easier to understand with extreme examples. If you pay them a thousand dollars at day one and then they spend it all on drugs, what are they doing for the next thirty days until they get more money? How are they going to pay for food? How are they going to find a place to live if they don't have a roof over themselves? So uh, that's a good I, point. Like, yeah. like I, I see, I see the point you. I'm just trying to say it's different than universal uh, issue, you can't really compare. Yeah, uh, yes and no. Um, there, there are similarities, but yes, there are differences too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my main point is by again making it universal. Yeah. You uh, increase the efficiency of the way this is being distributed. I understand that point. Keep yeah. in mind that there are, there are downstream effects of, of like, for instance, having universal healthcare doesn't just mean that if you get cancer, yeah. uh, you have access to to healthcare services. It also means that your neighbors, your community, has the same access. Sure. Which has downstream effects on crime rates, on on stability of the society, on all of those. UBI provides a similar setup, um, where even though you specifically might not ha- like need this money. Um, the availability of it as to every individual provides a sort of basic minimum, which sure. then has those positive downstream effects. Uh, um, can I just, uh, before we move on, yeah. uh, I just wanted to counter to your point about efficiency because short, I agree it's more efficient. But what I what I wanted to bring up is that I think efficiency is one of the least important things. When it what comes would to be more important? A lot of other th- factors. Uh, for example, how effective is, is it? Uh, is it actually helping people in need? Uh, I think those are much more important than efficiency. For example, uh, what is the the most efficient system you can think of? Think of the most efficient system. It's probably like like some free market system. I'll where tell you the most. Barrier to no no no, no. demand and the most efficient system is to do nothing. Very efficient. You don't have to spend any money on 
doing anything, right? No, efficiency is a measure of productivity. No, but the productivity is very good, right? Yeah. You're achieving exactly what your goal is. So that's what I'm trying if to your say. Your goal is, is doing nothing, yes. But well, you could say that, oh, we're motivating people to go out there and get their stuff done, right? We're incentivizing them. Uh, but uh, w- what I'm trying to say is that efficiency isn't the most important thing. Like if you have a more a better system that helps a lot more people, but it costs, let's say, a little bit more to administrate it, that's absolutely worth it, I would say. Would you not agree? Yeah, if it yes, achieves yes, better yes, results. Because, because uh, a measure of efficiency is, is like productivity relative to the to the cost but that's not what you're referring to you were saying it's easier to get it done right so you were saying it's more efficient as in it's simple it's easy to administrate you don't have to yes, worry yes. about and, that. and in aggregate it that results in it becoming uh, more effective than having a yeah exactly don't go too far away from the mic yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, it like it like ends up being uh more effective in terms of addressing those underlying issues okay. like for instance uh, um Putting aside the culture of stigma that comes with something that's that's like government welfare and not necessarily something that that is like a government, I guess, constitutional right or, sure. or something that like like every citizen receives. Putting that aside, um, compare the experience between somebody who's for whatever reason in need of money to like like uh, feed the children in the yeah. family who are like in the growth stage. So mm. this this type of nutrition really matters. Sure. The difference between them having to manage food stamps and having to reapply and having to like prove that they qualify, which means that they're not wealthy enough. Like the difference between that system and something that they just get a direct cash infusion every month is that one just like ultimately ends up working much better because of the fact that the, the access to the cash is much easier. I mean, like, say what you want to say about the COVID stimulus, uh, the stuff about inflation, the stuff about budgetary requirements. The one thing it did, that it did directly put cash in people's pockets, it, it, it weathered out the economic and, and, and many of those like, yeah. other factors that would have hit the population if we went into lockdown without economic stimulus. It did, it did, it but it came at a cost though, right? Yeah, yeah, so, so. Because uh, it wasn't a great system. Uh, for example, the inflationary pressure we were talking about, now we're seeing the implications of it. So, so I think in terms of like effectiveness insofar as these governmental programs go uh, in terms of achieving the downstream task of, of providing access to some essential goods and essential services uh, with, with some with some burden of responsibility on the individual who's receiving it which yeah. I would argue that uh, on a philosophical standpoint especially in the West we, we generally trust the individual uh, at some levels um, like it, it achieves the ultimate goal. Now you can like like in the same sense that this the stimulus packages achieve the goal of giving people purchasing power yeah. during a lockdown, during basically the, the economy going on pause. However, there's obviously how do we pay for it, inflation. So I'm happy to like move yeah. on to those conversations. Sure, sure. But I wanted to like maintain the point in terms of the fact that it will insofar that the, that the goal is to provide everybody with some essential level of like quality of life yeah it will achieve that um given some of the assumptions of agency we make about the, mm. the individual citizen which the same assumptions hold when they vote the same assumptions hold when they broadly mm. participate in, in other societies okay uh, so just before we move on to inflation uh, i wanted to just uh, do one one last response to that is that uh it could do that but it doesn't necessarily do that and that's the main issue with it right because first of all you're not giving them life-changing amounts right it's just a thousand a month it's not gonna change anything too drastically and number two a lot of people are just not going to use it properly right Uh, unless you're proposing uh paying more amounts or whatever uh which the more you pay the more it's going to cause inflation which we're going to talk about right now i I think i think i'll just say this which is uh the minkum experiment in canada the one about winnipeg Ah, the preliminary findings and and keep in mind that the experiment i think was paused as soon as the it was was four years uh, right took power yeah. yeah 
Um, it was like primarily a, a liberal NDP yeah. uh, program. Of course, uh, it the was. Preliminary, fi- <laughs> preliminary findings from the experiment showed a reduction in poverty rates, improved health outcomes, and an increase in high school completion rates. Uh, which yeah. the third one was the most interesting one because uh, it actually allowed, uh, especially low-income families, a lot more flexibility in terms of mm. having one parent home more involved in the children's lives exactly. than, than like both parents working. And so, in all of these studies, like the end goal of like the impact on poverty, the impact on on like those types of societal outcomes mm. it comes out now let's move on to inflation well, last thing okay. before we move on I'll, I'll promise not you, to respond you, yeah because so yeah, you brought on yeah, yeah I'll just say this yeah. uh, people act differently when they're being observed versus when they're not being observed and it's something that's there indefinitely right so that's if right. you'd conduct an experiment on welfare I'm sure people what's wouldn't what's it called like the Hawthorne effect something like yeah something along those lines yeah, yeah. Uh, if, if you conduct a, an experiment on welfare before you implemented it I'm sure you would have got much better results than what we're saying today where a lot of people abuse that and a lot of people don't uh, use the funds that they're getting properly properly uh so there's that issue as well but uh i think inflation. we can move on yeah inflation Go ahead. obviously yeah. if you inject cash into into a country uh into an economy yeah without uh an equal and correlated increase in the supply of goods you're gonna deal with inflation exactly um there is two things there's there are three broad things to consider here sure the first one is uh one where the source of ubr comes from is important because if you're repurposing previous welfare programs, yeah. or if you're increasing taxes, you're nevertheless like moving money out of the economy through taxation or through repurposement of other programs that would uh, um, that would um, like that would have injected uh, services or or resources otherwise. Sure. Uh, and so, in aggregate, you're not necessarily increasing the money supply unless you start like printing money or or running a massive deficit to run this program. So if you're running a deficit and if the budget is not necessarily balanced, yes, it would be inflationary. Yep. But if it's not, for instance, imagine if the in the case of the COVID stimulus packages, instead of putting it on the on the Fed's balance yeah. sheet, if they had uh, issued governmental bonds, uh, where you would have you know taken income and capital uh, that was available in the private markets through government bonds, so you hmm. would have hit you know the 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 private equity or like private capital side sure. of the economy while injecting capital into the other sides. And so although you know you could see inflation trends in um like like basic commodity basic goods like essential goods yeah. especially if the production of those don't go higher um you'd say this disinflationary trends across the other sectors of the economy that that rely on those higher incomes or those previous welfare programs that were in place. But it does speed up the economy though when you pay everyone money and they have more purchasing power. Again, it, it highly depends on how you're paying for it. If you're paying it through taxes, you're yeah. reducing the purchasing power of, of those who are paying those taxes if it's in, through higher taxes, especially uh, high-income individuals. That's actually not true. Uh, the reason for that is because, uh, let's say you're Elon Musk, right? If you get taxed at 50% or 60%, does that change whether you're able to afford food or not? No, but but what it would have a disinflationary effect is in asset classes. Elon Musk is a bit of a unique case because yeah. he's, he's never sold anything, but a lot of the other individuals it is in his uh, like wealth bracket. Yeah. Um, tax ta- greater taxes on them, assuming they paid, which sure, which, sure. You know, like like time and time again, you see like billionaire taxes like at eight. That's beside the point. Yeah. Um, but a reduction in their purchasing power may not reflect itself in like food or yeah. or or other stuff, but it starts reflecting itself in asset classes. Sure, so, so in, but in uh, CPI in, in, inflation, right? So the core, infra- yes, that that could yeah. rise if you're if you don't balance it up properly with um, with uh, increases in supply. 
So you have to subsidize for supply too, basically. N- not necessarily, because if you're cr- if you're improving, especially local markets mm. by by like creating a consumer market in in otherwise areas that would not have a consumer market, would not have as big of a consumer market without UBI. Sure. Like for instance, if you like pay, like implement UBI on Wall Street. It's not going to have an impact on the consumers and on Wall Street because, like, okay. it's, it's like a you know two percent increase in their in their uh, income. Um, but if you do it in like in some small town in in I don't know Yukon, yeah. then then that could have a very significant impact in terms of creating a, a consumer market. But there will be some inflationary pressure. Uh, you will, however, eventually see production actually uh, come up. And given the fact that this is a recurrent money, yeah. those consumer markets will, broadly speaking, remain. Uh, they're not like cyclical, and so you would expect supply to to catch mm. up in time. Okay, so uh, uh, I know that's I have, the first point. Yeah. There are two others, but let's just let, let me yeah. give you this. Uh, I want to concede this point to you because uh, I think this is one thing. And I'm actually surprised you didn't say this. Uh, since automation is going to replace uh, a that lot was my of, third point. Oh, okay, so well, it's perfect. So yeah. I will concede that if you tax. Uh, companies that are implementing automation, that could be a good way to do it because you're uh, taking money from a place where value is being created without money being put in, as at least as much as it was before, yeah. right? Because you don't have to have the labor costs uh, when you're automating some of those processes. And then if you redistribute that money, then sure, I guess inflationary pressure wouldn't be as bad, right? Because uh, the cost of the goods aren't going to necessarily go up. Uh, it's it's true that there is more demand for it, but the supply will also rise because there's automation so you can produce more for less money. Yes, yes. Um, the, the, key, the key point, I guess this actually brings me to the second and third point. The sure, third well, point would have been automation, yeah. but it actually goes hand in hand to some extent with the second point, which I would argue is like aging population. Both are fundamentally about the fact that we often like think about inflation trends in the sense that uh, how this will impact the, the supply side of goods. Yeah. Um, but something that's often forgotten is that our economy functions by also having a demand on the other side and, sure. and increasingly a consumer-driven uh, uh, economy where the demand is to consume those goods and services. Um, if we, uh, with respect to both aging population and especially automation, you could potentially like see enormous improvements in, in the supply side uh, not necessarily aging population, but especially yeah. with automation. But if that doesn't result in some sort of cash going to the to the individual consumer to consume those goods that are being yeah. produced, you're like dealing with a very bad economic situation. It's it's more disinflationary. But, but you're again, also you're assuming that's uh, the only. Which, you know what? Let's let's put automation aside for now because okay. we got to get into that. Aging population thing. is a good example yeah. of this because aging sure. population. On one hand, you have increased demand for services for the elderly. Okay. Um, you have flight of capital. So so. This is actually uh, I'm, I'm plagiarizing Peter Zihan, but but basically sure. he he describes this this setup where like uh, the the younger portions of the population are are like the economic engine in the sense that they're doing most of the work coming sure. up. Um, the middle set of the population, especially those that have family, provide the excellent consumer market, and then the older population just before retirement are the capital uh, like foundation for any kind of innovation and entrepreneurship to take place by sure. the, by the lower two cohorts. And so, if you're dealing with aging population, what you have is the eldest part are going into retirement so their assets yeah. are are like flying out of the out of the market they're going to go into you know either just straight cash or like very secure government bonds so you start like losing that ability to to improve uh, production sure the consumer base which 
like uh, is also you know a, sm- a bigger cohort than the one below it, but a smaller one than the elder population would be going into the elder stages, which means it's much more about saving and less more about consuming. So the consumer market begins to potentially shrink or at okay. least not grow at the rate that most economists expect. And then you have a smaller pool of people to actually produce those goods. And so sure. it, it's it's like it's like the dichotomy of like would the increased cost of goods because because of like these inflationary trends. Uh, how that would relate to otherwise a consumer market that might be shrinking because of uh, a limited number of population. And you throw automation into the mix, it certainly improves the side of like having more goods available, Yeah. but it doesn't really address the consumer side of the equation, the, the part about demand. But UBI creates effectively an artificial demand, except everybody can vote and actually pick products that they want. So you guarantee the consumer side and you let automation take uh, the, the supply to where it needs. So, so if I understand correctly, uh, let me just uh, summarize this. Uh, you're saying that uh, by ensuring that we have UBI, uh, we make sure that everyone, including the older generations who are not working anymore, because we have an aging population, they're going to be more and more over time. Uh, we're going to make sure they still reign co- uh, consumers. And then by in that sense, our economy keeps growing. Not, not necessarily the elders. Like You make that sure that everybody can participate in a consumer economy. Whereas right now, sure. you're much more reliant um, on the, on the middle, middle, middle part of the pyramid yeah. that are like the, the biggest consumers, age. yeah. Okay, okay. Um, and and that that cohort is shrinking, um, and and so as a result, like you're basically like you're basically stimulating the consumer side of the economy, yeah. Um, by by enabling people to purchase more. Uh, so that might have some impact, but I think the impact is being exaggerated a little bit because uh, really how big of a difference is that going to make? If you pay a, a little bit of money to everyone, uh, how much more of a how much more of a, a consumer uh, are you going to make of the people who are like, uh, for example, if uh, you're, you're arguing that we have an aging population, right? And as a result, we need to have uh, money coming in to everyone so that we can keep everyone. I, I, should, I should emphasize the aging population was an example. Yeah. If, if I'm actually going to be intellectually consistent, sure. the aging population is actually a problem against UBI because it makes it more expensive to do stuff in general. Sure. Um, um, but uh, nevertheless, like um, my, my point about aging population is that you, you're having the consumer market shrink. Yeah. Um, and if you're in a shrinking consumer market and also... You, but you're, does it though? Does it shrink? Your, Why does it shrink? consumers. Why is that though? You have fewer people in for the luxury items, age. maybe. But so now, now it's actually a good point to to define like what sort of things are going to be inflation and what sort of things oh, are going to be disinflation. We were talking about CPI inflation, right? Yeah. So it's a it's an average basket that an average family exactly. needs, right? So what a hundred dollars can buy for you at a Walmart, basically, right? That's basically yeah. what yeah. the idea so is. So if you were to implement UBI tomorrow, I would consider to you that it would be inflationary, but. Yeah. In the long arc of history, like like arc of the future, sure. given the fact that one, you would expect like the populations are are slowly in much of the Western world. If you like remove uh, immigration, the population is actually in many ways decreasing. Mm. But given that, and that means that by the very like the fact that the population base would be smaller, you're shrinking the consumer base. Sure, uh, especially given when you talk about different age categories, this is kind of. Uh, stimulates the consumer base to to purchase more to at least create like increase the consumer demand for those goods that would otherwise be lost um, and that would I would argue primarily going to the core products the, the CPI index products as a really? if you, people are producing like people who consume 
Uh, keep in mind that like people but we're consider- talking about essential items. Yeah, right? yeah. People are going to buy that regardless. Like if if you're well, this retired. kind of goes back to the poverty question. Obviously, those who are no, but, extremely poor cannot. No, afford yeah, it. sure. Yeah. But people who are in poverty are getting welfare right now, so they yeah. ha- they're still in, a consumer, right? Well, for those who are not within the th- the the income bracket for which this would enable them to purchase more of those core products, then you they would not contribute to inflation on those core products. They would contribute to inflation in other sets of categories, which you know we can argue that like food inflation is bad because. Yeah, it makes it more difficult. Yeah, but if there's an inflation in the cost of like I don't know, fine arts, yeah, like exactly. <laughs> yeah, that is what it is. I guess it sucks, but it is what it is. Like, uh, it doesn't suck for the artist. I'll yeah, tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. So, uh, and keep in mind, there, like, like going back to the taxation idea, if yeah. you're like taxing the 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 upper income ones, assuming there's limited capital flight and brain drain, which we can probably argue for hours about sure. whether that would be the case or not. Um, you're limiting their purchasing power while increasing the purchasing power of the low-income individuals. But the difference is the limits in their in the purchasing power of upper-income people would manifest itself in disinflationary effects in other product categories, whether it's luxuries or asset classes. Um, like it would be disinflationary in other classes. You're saying? Yeah, if, if you're if you limiting their purchasing power if by, you don't through higher anything. taxes. Oh, by putting in higher taxes, you're saying? Yeah, yeah okay, I'm okay, saying like going back to the taxation. See, okay, okay, okay. taxation. Like, okay. And so, so like, yes. Injecting money into the economy is is could be inflationary. Like if you just run a deficit of like I don't know. No, no, I got what you mean. I got what you mean. So you're you're taxing the uh, higher bracket income people. If you do that, like like, yeah, so on luxury, or like like, think about the the CPI when it comes down to food. If you basically like throw away food stamps and replace it with UBI, the demand. Those are government subsidized though. Hmm? But but the demand for food, like like government subsidized, means that the government is paying for no, them. No, they are. Yeah, you're paying for them. Yeah, the demand for food is not changing that much. If if assuming everybody who's in need of like uh, uh, food stamps is on food stamps, they're now receiving UBI. Like you're you're just like shuffling different programs. You're not necessarily making inflationary. Okay. So um, uh, that's my point. Which I is think like, that makes sense. Like like as long unless like if you you know. Turn on the money printer, like the money printer goes bruh, and then yeah. like like yes, that would be inflationary. But if you like like basically are, are moving different sectors of the economy, yes, like for instance, if you like do it through taxation, yeah, you can probably expect like high end property prices to to stagnate if not decline, yeah, because you're hitting the purchasing power of those guys. While expect that I don't know maybe uh, a particular like essential service that the government doesn't provide, like imagine I don't know. Strollers for for uh, like families might sure. now like there might be an increase in those prices because like once you cover food and the other stuff for any low income family that has a as a as an infant. So uh, all I'm saying is like the inflationary one would be not, one, not evenly distributed. Yeah. So it would be much more nuanced, and two, it would not be like depending on how you implement it, it may not be as inflationary at all. If like you know if if any at all. All right, so it's a it's a bit of a murky one, I guess. Uh, it could have effects so. Yeah, it depends yeah. on how you implement it. Like, for instance, the stimulus package was uh, inflationary. Yeah. Because you just increased the money yeah, supply. Yeah, because they the just, economy. yeah, exactly. That's like, what they did. Uh, but if you don't increase the money supply in the economy, you would, broadly speaking, expect inflation to not change. It might, like, in certain product categories, change. The issue is if you increase the demand and then the sur- supply matches it with automation, let's say, you are still speeding up the economy, right? And the more you speed up the economy, the more inflation there will be. No, not necessarily. Like, keep in mind, if, if the money supply doesn't... 
Okay, do you agree that if the money supply doesn't expand, but uh, productivity is expanding, so the cost of goods are becoming cheaper? It's not just about the money supply, though. It's about how the money is being allocated and by how many people to what products, right? Because it's not just about overall that inflation. Would be, that would be, uh, like, yes, you might see inflation in certain product categories. And that's what we're talking about, right? So yeah, yeah. CPI inflation is when and, it comes and my, to... And my counter to that is that assuming yeah. that, that you, like, if you keep food stamps yeah. and also throw in UBI... And assume that food stamps doesn't fully cover, like, like say that if an adult, which you may have to do, by the way. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, like, say, say a, a, an individual, like, yeah, I don't. What are we like? Forty-four percent obesity rate. So say, like, sure. if you give people the option to to like overconsume food products, they would go for it. Then yes, if you keep food stamps and like other food-related welfare programs and throwing UBI, you can expect an inflation in in the food market. Sure. We might go to automation and then say <laughs> the supply would still get there. But, but yeah. my point is, even going back, as long as you like shuffle these properly, you could expect the case where UBI is implemented. It's not really inflationary, but it stimulates like it, it provides certain type of uh, economic stimulus that, that, that would be interesting. For instance, one of the biggest issues I would argue right now in, in housing, um, less so in Canada, but especially in the United States, is that you basically have certain economic hubs suck population out from from the from middle of the country, yeah, and and the issue with that is that you're you're wrecking the the consumer market within those middle of the country towns, yeah, while massively inflating asset prices in those in economic hubs. So the cost yeah. of like like the quality of living is actually going lower, arguably in both areas because the hubs are becoming exactly. more expensive to live in. Those are becoming like less economically viable to live in. Exactly, UBI would basically guarantee that whoever is left in those towns. Is it still like generating a limited but nevertheless non-zero like, consumer market? Sure, but again, it's it's paper over cracks. It's not really addressing the issue, right? You're just throwing it, some it some is, money at yes, it. Yes, yes. Half the government programs are I throwing guess, money true, at the problem. Yeah. There's a lot of nuance. Uh, um, sure. Uh, okay, we can. Uh, if I think, you want, we can move on to automation. Yeah, we can move on from inflation. Okay, okay. that was that was uh, interesting because automation is an interesting one. Of course. Um, this is this is that this is the big stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's let's think of automation in in two categories. Sure. What are the categories? So for, for context, uh, as you know, I, I do a lot of stuff in that space. Yeah. Um, and there's a bit, a bit of a you know divergent opinion, especially amongst a lot of bigger names in the AI space, much bigger than me, that whether the the AI revolution and the the age of automation we're seeing, especially with like core machine learning models. Um, whether it's different than, than previous technological revolutions or mm. whether it's the same. Sure. Let's first go assuming it's the same, um, which is that you you have increased productivity. Uh, yeah. Let's start right there. What do you mean it's the same? Can you define in in the sense that, that you're going to see massive productivity boosts across a certain number of job ranges, yeah. which in the beginning means you get to produce more of those, but at some point you saturate the consumer market for those goods. So that means that you need fewer and fewer people. Like uh, 300 years ago, half the population was working on farms. Yeah. And, and then you just- Industrial revolution and, and like, you know, uh, different farming techniques yeah. and uh, automated- uh, Okay, so you're saying like, it's the same when it comes to how it affects the, the job market? It moves the jobs around. Yeah. So, so it eliminates some jobs. Okay, so but then it creates new ones on the other side. So it's the same as far as how it affects the job market. Yeah, yeah. Is that good? Okay. Yeah. That's the th- second case. And, sure, then, sure. and the first case. And then the second case is that AI is different. That AI. Like, uh, so, you know, so, what was your point on the first case? So, the first case, I yeah. think um, um, the, the usefulness of UBI and the key point I want to get across is that um, if you lived 100 years ago, yeah. you could live your entire life without 
100 years ago might be a bit of an but if you live 200 years ago, you could sure. live your entire life without seeing any kind of technological revolution. Sure. The work you were doing was beyond unlikely to be disrupted by, by some yeah. unique technology. And, and plus, if it were to be uh, disrupted, it was very much work that would, you know... Uh, like involve a range of motor functions, or like it would not require yeah, a lot more of or cognitive training, like yeah. a lot of intellectual training beforehand. It wouldn't sure. require. Um, whereas right now, just in the past, you know, since the advent of the internet, we've had arguably every ten years a, a, a completely altering technology coming through. Um, uh, but that's it's, it's not an industrial revolution. Whether it's though. the cloud revolution or the mobile revolution, those are not industrial revolutions. Though. They they change, for instance, like, the classical like they, they vastly change demands for for various product categories, yeah. which in turn meant that those who were employed in those had to like re- repurpose. My main point is the sp- the pace of innovation right now, combined with the fact that you need um, a lot more training to engage in in those more demanding jobs that are less likely to be automated sure um those two means that your ability to shift from an automated job to something that could provide a very nice living for you um is uh, much more limited in terms of the the buffer uh, zone you get to like be able to make that switch and ubi would provide this type of financial buffer albeit super small for you to like say you know I hate to use the example of self-driving trucks because having worked in this space, I actually sure. think there are some fundamental issues that that are, you know, yeah. that might not be necessarily resolved. Um, but say we we achieve that, sure. um, it's not like that that uh, you know two hundred years ago, if you were, like got off the farm, you could like go and start laying bricks, and and that would be the end of like you know one job to another. Yeah. Whereas right now, you know, you you can't take like uh, uh, um, a truck. It driver. takes time to like take a tr- truck driver and retrain him to like be a. Um, like and an electrician or like sure. um, you, you like in the extreme cases for instance again this is a bad example because there are still fundamental yeah. problems in terms of the current state of models um, Jeffrey Hinton famously said I think like in 2016 that like we should stop training radiologists because yeah. we're going to replace in his latest interview he said like I think he said we're going to replace him in five years and then seven years later in his latest interview he said we're going to replace them again in five years <laughs> um, so but assuming for instance that happens a radiologist is like you know what four years of medical school from and like years of uh, yeah. residency and other forms of training you can't just tell them that like hey you know here's a computer learn how to code yeah. and, and become uh, uh, an engineer of like comparable income level right so considering all of these Basically, in the AI case, given the pace of the innovation, assuming that there are good jobs on the other end mm-hmm. and jobs like creator, um, the skill set required and the retraining yeah. would constitute the need for a buffer state, for a buffer zone, for when the person loses a job or loses an economic opportunity to move uh, and retrain to be employed in a different sector that's emerging. Sure, and that's different from previous in the revolutions um, that that produce the same type of. So economic. let's be clear on the industrial revolution. So uh, we've had three industrial revolutions before, as class- classically defined by economists. Up until now, we were uh, living in the industry 3.0 age, and. Uh, the consensus among a lot of the the people in this space is that this is the fourth one, right? So this will be Industry 4.0. Yeah. Uh, so the first industrial revolution was uh, in the late 1800s. It was with a steam engine. Uh, the second one was in the early 1900s. It was with the uh, gas engine and electricity becoming widespread. Uh, and the third one was uh, with uh, transistors, microchips, uh, which were first uh, developed in the 70s and popular. Uh, 
at a, at a massive scale, basically, right? And so, and that's a computer. Though. Yeah, that's what gave us. That's what gave us computers, internet, uh, smartphones, everything after that, right? Uh, so this AI revolution will be the fourth one, right? And it's very interesting if you look through history how people reacted to these industrial revolutions. Uh, it can teach you a lot. Uh, as you know, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. So let's take a closer look at some of these. So uh, there was a, a famous example in the. 1800s. It was called the Luddite up uprising, uh, which was uh, basically a lot of people who were working uh, in the wool industry. Uh, they they were extremely uh, fearful of the steam engine that was being introduced. They mm -hmm. thought it would replace th their jobs. They they started. Uh, causing all sorts of mayhem, uh, destroying properties, all, all sorts of things. Uh, but it turns out uh, it wasn't actually that much of a problem later on. Uh, in fact, it was kind of an overreaction. We see this time and time again uh, in the 1930s. Uh, there's this uh, guy, uh, his name is John Maynard Keynes, uh, who was discussing this. Uh, he's an economist. He was uh, talking about how uh, what could happen with uh, new technologies that come and take uh, other jobs because this was around the time where electricity was widespread. Uh, it was changing a lot of jobs from uh, that, that existed beforehand. Of course, cars were widespread at this time. Uh, they were replacing a lot of jobs that were there with you know horses and all that stuff. Uh, what he was saying that this could change the way we work, uh, but it doesn't mean that we're gonna lose the ability to work, right? So it could change the way we interact with technology. It could change the way we train for work. It could change the amount of time we even spend on work. So we could have a 15 hour work week instead of a 40 hour work week uh, because that will be enough time to do achieve the same tasks because technology is there to help us, right? Uh, so this is something that we've seen uh, a lot of times throughout history. And, and in fact, uh, there's a famous study by Rowena Gray uh, on the second industrial revolution in particular uh, and what impact it had on the job market. So uh, the hypothesis was that such an industrial revolution causes a hollowing out in jobs that require mid-tier skills, right? So uh, maybe radiology is a little bit at the, at the top range of that, but truck driver will be something like that, right? So it's kind of a mid-tier skill, right? It's not no skill. It's not extremely expert. You don't need expertise to be a truck driver, right? You need to be able to drive a if truck. If you ever have radiologists watch this show, they're going to start... I can't drop the F-bomb, but like they're going to start seething on the statement that the radiologists are probably at the very top of the They're at the top of range. the mid-tier skill range, I suppose. <laughs> they're uh, pretty specialized, but yeah, go on. They're, go they're on, specialized, go. sure, but, yeah. uh, but that's, why I, said, that's yeah. why I said they're at the, yeah. the high range, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, but we this love is, you, radiologists. Of course, of course. Please diagnose our cancer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe we don't end up replacing them, right? Yeah. Because it's not the mid-tier. That's not what we've seen previously. Uh, but yeah, uh, so in the second industrial revolution, particularly, uh, this this did occur. So a lot of people who had a mid-tier skill job uh, ended up losing their jobs, but this didn't have a lasting effect. So there's another study from Lawrence Katz and Robert Margot. Uh, they said that they, there is no evidence that there was any long-term effects from this hollowing out that that was observed in the second industrial revolution. And this uh, this could be applied here. And of course, previous performance doesn't necessarily uh, but I think guarantee future results. If I may, sure. like the, the the cases you're describing yeah. are a counterexample to the second understanding of of the AI revolution, which is like this is going to be the last one. This this is like this will be very different. With respect to the first one, yeah, uh, I agree with like like we could agree over the idea that like like. Uh, 
in in the long arc of history, the hollowing effect would be mitigated. Like huh. you will lose jobs in the in the run up to the revolution, and you would create much better ones uh, on the other side. Yeah. But I don't think it necessarily addresses the problem around retraining and the pace of the development, um, because I think we can both agree yeah. that the the general trend across each revolution is that the jobs on the other side require to be you to be more specialized, mm. develop uh, higher level skills, which require more training. Not necessarily in that sense, uh, because uh, and this is something I heard from uh, Andrew Ng is his name, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he was talking about this. He was saying uh, this doesn't necessarily mean we have to take people job people's jobs and then train them to do something completely new, right? So you were giving this example of back in the day, you know, if you couldn't work on the farm, we would train you how to do bricklaying or something, right? Yeah. Uh, this doesn't necessarily apply here because uh, what we could do is, for example, with the radiologists, we could train them to use an AI to perform radIology. Does that make sense? So, or or a lot of other cases, right? If, if radiology AI- is a, is a highly specialized case. Um, yeah. Okay. Now I'm gonna start geeking out about some of the like the specifics of, of AI research. Absolutely, go for it. There, there's a, there's a there's a key argument, like like for instance. Uh, in, in I think 2014, 2015 era, people were like, um, um, and this is a an interesting segue for those who are like super crazy about ChatGPT. But basically, in that era, there was like this thought that oh, by the before the end of the decade, self-driving cars would be all across the road. And the reason yeah, was, it was yeah. we were looking at like basically an exponential trend in terms hmm. of improvements across all those problems. And yeah, was, which was, was deceiving. Like, it was like this, but like most exponentials eventually become like a sigma. You become an exactly yeah. And as it turns out, in self-driving cars, we hit the S curve. Way too early. Hit the line yeah. for which you could like deploy these cars at scale. Exactly. Um, and it could be that the AI revolution we end up seeing is that, especially in those specialized jobs, the like the S curve converges well before it hits the level of completely automating the job. In which case, yes, you're now like not just a software engineer, but a software engineer using AI. Um, it still has some downstream. It does, it's not just but, that though. But, I mean, that's one way of describing it that it, it'll hit, hit the S curve before we hit that at that point. Yeah. But even if it doesn't, let's say it completely replaces that particular job, right? What I'm trying to say is that anytime there is an industrial revolution, there is a lot of jobs created that we couldn't even conceive of beforehand, right? So back, let's say, uh, so cars became wi- widespread around 1910, right? Some, sometime around then. I don't know the exact date, but sometime around then, right? Uh, so if you lived in, let's say, 1899, you you can't even imagine what a mechanic looks like, But right? you're saying that, hey, like, we're going to... Correct me if I'm like putting putting sure, sure, words sure. in your mouth, but like you're saying that oh look like we're we're at the uh, the um, like the earliest stages of the second industrial revolution yeah. with, with like the gas and electricity kicking in, and it's fine like like if you're um, like a, a, a surgeon performing surgery yeah now instead of like having to perform your surgeries at night uh, in the daylight you can now like use use the light bulb and actually perform like go longer or mm. like go deeper or like 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 it, it, it are you it saying it didn't affect a lot of people no i'm saying that like like you're providing that example mm. and i'm saying that yes but at the same time that cars were being invented yeah those who were responsible for maintaining like, like horses uh, yeah. horses um there's no like like path for like they have to switch jobs and my prim- my focus is again that like yes some works will be some jobs will be yeah. enhanced some jobs will be fundamentally automated and given the fact that the trend is in general towards the direction of jobs becoming more specialized requiring more training for you to reach the skill level mm. you're now dealing with a case where the the uh, change is happening faster and the 
gap on average for an individual to retrain to go into a different job after the after the AI revolution yeah. um, is also becoming larger. Both of these means that you have to have you have to address two solutions. One, how do you support this individual as they're going through retraining? I have two, two words for you. How do you retrain them? I have two words for you. What? Student loans. Student loans, baby. So go, go back to school, learn some new things. If uh, it comes to that, right? Uh, and it doesn't necessarily come to that in every sense. Sure, there will be some jobs, like if you're training horses and then cars come around. Yeah, I mean, there will still be some demand for it, but yeah, not as much as it was before, obviously, right? Uh, so yes, yeah, some of those people who are working in that industry maybe have to consider starting looking at maybe being a mechanic, right? Yeah. Uh, but that option is there, right? So the job is there. No one is a mechanic because no one even knew what a mechanic was until five years ago, right? No one could even conceive of what that job is and the same thing like until five years ago no like when cars first come around yeah, yeah, right yeah, yeah. at that point no one yeah, could even conceive yeah, yeah. what a mechanic uh, was yes. five years before but keep right? in mind like the person maintaining horses like yeah. they have they have to go through a certain level of training to be able to like operate on a car exactly now, scale that for the 21st century yeah. and and you're looking at uh a much larger uh, uh, gap for which you need to cover and retrain that individual mm. for a different job. Like uh, you well, you're assuming that it's it's gonna replace a lot of jobs at the same time, which it's not necessarily going to be the case. And it might go at different rates. The, the yeah. key point is UBI provides like a, a base of support for basic essential services, mm. which means that you basically guarantee that that individual can like at, at potentially grave cost to the, to their quality of life, yeah. but nevertheless can survive. Um, and retrain to go through go to a different path. But what I'm saying is, uh, let's say let's say that's the case, right? Let's say uh, a lot of people just need to go and retrain. Uh, there's no other way. There's no easier way to like do something similar to their own job. Even if that was the case, why would universal basic income be the way to provide that support? Because what we're doing, right, is at least what you're arguing right now is that we need to support them while they're getting retraining, and then while they, when they get retrained. They can be in their job. They can do their thing, right? But why would not, why wouldn't we just give them student loans so that they can go learn and then just live their lives normally, right? Why would we pay them a thousand dollars indefinitely yes. Yes. for those one or two years that they have to maybe retrain? It, I have to disagree with the characterization that it would be just one or two years. You, in some cases, you might see longer retraining required. You really think so? Potentially, yeah. If you want to become a mechanic, um, like for example, how long would it take you? It's not just how long it would take you, but it's like how long before you can like um, get back to the same to a comparable level of income, which requires experience. Which but it's a brand a new future. market where there's no competition. So yes, to start but, with, but everybody is at score zero. Like imagine somebody in his fifties, yeah, that that suddenly finds themselves at the at the you know. Uh, wrong side of the uh, the AI revolution. Sure. Um, you can't, like, this person might have, you know, kids to support, might have, like, a, a, a lot of other social responsibilities. And I mean, the welfare is there, though. Like, for people who just need money because there's chi child uh, support from the government that's there, yeah. there's a lot well, of UBI, options. I think, like, like previously we were talking about, like, how we would, in, in many ways, provide a better welfare state. Um, Not for people who are, uh, who don't have any income, right? Also, that person well, has for six months. They have their employment insurance. There's that too. Uh, there, there's a bunch of stuff, right? Yes, you could argue that, like, like in aggregate, if you like really balance the current programs together, you might like find some solution that that the person would survive without UBI. UBI is just a much simpler way to like guarantee for everybody that this happens to. They have a, a base of like essentials covered. 
until they get through it to the other side. No, but what I'm saying is if they already have it covered, right? Why would you replace that with UBI? What are we exactly achieving? Well, the question is, uh, one, do we have it covered? And two, um, the current type of retraining people do, like in between industries, it would be like nothing compared to what you would have to do like as you go through what people are broadly regarding as the next so, so in revolution. this particular context right we're talking about people who have a good income job right and have they're a reasonable job. have a reasonable, reasonable yeah, sure. yeah so would you say average at least uh, sure you average could, like, or like, high. take the take the median household income so it's fifty thousand or yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah so average or higher right yeah so average or higher people who have average or no, higher no, incomes uh, not necessarily higher around average I mean, radiologists have higher though, right? So radiologists are a special case. For one, like like I use the example of radiology as like one of the groups that retraining might be more difficult. Yeah. But I think broadly speaking, most radiologists, unless they're like in the like so far into their career, because yeah. like the human ability to like learn new things is like if you're like 85, that the ability, unless you're Warren Buffett or like like yeah. uh, some somebody of that caliber, like your ability, your cognitive ability is, begins to decline. So, but like radiologists, broadly speaking, I would suspect anybody who can like make it through medical school and and, and yeah. uh, radiology residency training, they could probably get into some other uh, specialized profession, especially if it's like you know a lateral move into like a surgical specialty or some other medical field but um somebody like like i think what was this that like 2.1 million people across north america work in call centers mm. whisper api from OpenAI combined with probably gpt5 would produce a good enough result with with limited enough set of hallucinations and other issues yeah that you could replace a large set of those or at the very least like have a funnel or like you only need ten percent of the of the call center people than before, sure. um, to like you know ninety percent of yeah a lot of us covered by cases only uh, and then like when when you hit an edge case you, but then so, you could also so have how are you going to retrain these people one two um, what are they going to do is it like employment insurance uh, what if they cannot retrain in the time for employment insurance given the pace at which it's coming so like somebody comes out of the call center and says oh it's okay I'll, I'll just go like become a, a, an ad copywriter um, well, no, six months later they're that. also hit so like like basically providing a, an so what I'm saying is buffer yeah. uh, so sorry to, to interrupt yeah, yeah. but uh, what I'm saying is that a lot of jobs that will be created we can't even conceive of right now same way that someone who was living before the 1900s could not conceive what a mechanic is. Uh, well, so th- then the insurance policy is to have something like UBI. Okay, so this to, is the point I was to making. To cover the case in which, you know... Yeah, we got a little sidetracked. But yeah, yeah. yeah what I was talking about was, uh, let's say we have an average income or slightly higher. Yeah. Uh, that person, right, if they get employment insurance for six months, that's already higher than getting $1,000 a month for two years for that one person. Right, so sure. is is that really a better substitute? Um, the math is a bit more complicated than. Of that, course it is, like, but I'm, I'm just saying a, it's not it's not clear that it's a yeah. better system. At least, is that fair to say? It, it, it's a simple system. It is a simple system. This. Let me give you an example. Sure. Uh, I uh, I guess in some sense, yeah. Um, I I come to you and I'm like, oh, you know, every day I like drink, I like I have this like scoop of greens and protein. Yeah. And you're like. You know, if you have like like this this brand of fish oil, and then combine with that multivitamin, and then this thing, and then like this much like like this particular type of like spinach, and like like this and this and this, you in aggregate get a lot more. And I'm seeing that like the cost of managing that is like I have a simple <laughs> solution yeah. that gets us the ninety percent of of the path 
true through and if you see that the last 10 percent is actually like like so problematic you could probably enhance that program but again like on the topic of ubi it, it more or less addresses all these issues without having to have the person file for unemployment insurance, without having to have to deal with all these sorts of cases, whether they qualify for that or... No, but the, mind, the issue unemployment, is unemployment. it's over-addressing, right? Yeah. So it, first of all, it's not clear that it's actually doing better than the system we, that we have right now. And number two, it's over-addressing. So for example, people who are not replaced, they're also getting $1,000 a month. Yeah. People who get a new job that is more AI friendly and will last with AI. Those people will keep getting that thousand afterwards, even when they don't need it. So it's it's insufficient targeting. This is another point that I was bringing up before is that- How is that any different from saying, oh, like when it comes down to universal healthcare, um, sure, cover the guy who like doesn't have a job, but why do you have to provide coverage for the one who's making six figures a year? They can go pr- pr- like buy their own insurance. Sounds like we gotta have a debate about <laughs> healthcare. <laughs> Universal. Yeah. Maybe let's hold off on that one because I feel but, like that's very cancelable. Yeah, yeah. Like like uh, uh, potentially a large argument of it is like at a, at a like a cultural level. Yeah. Do you just establish this as a citizen right that everybody has a right to have, and it has all these sorts of like downstream advantages? Well, well let's let's hold on on res- using the term right because yeah. that's reserved for very fundamental things, right? Like the right to uh, have liberty, right, or the right to you know, like it's not the same as you, no one has a right to get a thousand dollars for anyone, right? Can we establish that? It's not a right, right? Like maybe it's something that we want to provide to our citizens. Maybe it's beneficial for society, but it's not a right. Do you think it is your right that uh, in the event of an emergency, yeah. that the emergency service you're looking for actually comes for you? It's not my human right. It's a, my citizen right. Yeah, so yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a citizen right. Yeah, but it's, yeah. it's different than saying, so if you want to say, yeah, uh, you yeah. believe that that's a right that citizens should have. No, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm saying like, like that's, I know, that's it's a semantics, but I just yeah, want to make sure yeah, we get that clear. Okay. Uh, yeah, but uh, so what, what's your point on insufficient targeting? Do you think that's no problem? When it comes down to any kind of welfare program, yeah. you could go towards the extreme, which is I exactly pick how like down to the, down to the you know, minute, down to the item, how the individual receiving this benefit is supposed to use it. Or we have the other side where we basically give the individual agency to um, like like rely on their ability to decide mm. for themselves. Sure. And any program you pick is like somewhere in between. UBI is more uh, permissive of, of how you spend that money. But um, I don't, like my point is uh, on that front that any program you set up, you have to give some level of freedom to the person receiving it. Sure. If you're considering it a citizen right, then... I don't want to cut you off, yeah, but yeah, uh, the better terminology actually would be, uh, it's my privilege as a citizen. Because it's not my right to have someone else's labor to help my medical situation, right? Yeah. It's, it's a privilege that we all have as citizens. And it's a privilege that we want to retain for all citizens, right? Because that's a value that's important for us. But it's not a human right. Well, let me give an example. Uh, if you go to um, some hospital, like say, yeah. uh, I guess our age range might be too early, but like 20 years from now. Sure, sure. Um, and say you're diagnosed with like very early stage cancer. Sure. Um, from the standpoint of the society, especially once one that is uh, funding your health care. Yeah. You must like like the opt the, the the targeted outcome is for you to take uh, the treatment necessary and, yeah, and that's, come back to it's, the society. It's but you have the right to refuse. Exactly. Um, in a similar sense, here it's like 
uh, if you're a recipient of UBI, most people would take the treatment. Most people would spend it on on social goods when necessary. But a certain, uh, but the, the, would you grant somebody the right to potentially deviate from the optimal way to spend that that money? Um, under the account that that as a citizen they you know get some level of agency and I think I think it's a different case though because well, in one in one case right so in the healthcare case when you refuse treatment uh, you're refusing to get what we're offering you as the privilege in the case of UBI if you're refusing the money that will be the same right but refusing to use it on something that's good for you is not the same right it's a very different example well consider for instance unemployment. Yeah. Um, uh, many of the unemployment benefits, you could argue that that by in fact making it harsher, you could push somebody to like like pursue a job more. Or like, is is the unemployment benefit you're produ- like? You could probably argue that if somebody mm. doesn't have any type of unemployment benefit, like uh, the, the scare of having nothing to eat yeah. might be a stronger motivating factor than like. And saying, that's that's another point we have to actually talk about the incentive. But we'll, we'll get into yeah, yeah. we'll get into the incentive. Like like, like I'm saying that like like you could go to to, to an area where you're like yeah. this is the target behavior I want. Sure. Um, but in any of these programs, at some level, you should give the individual some agency. And I don't see a problem in UBI giving the individual agency to um, spend that money however they want and, and go, on the, like, go on the assumption that they will spend that money on average wisely and, and to their own benefit. But it's not just that, though, because you're talking about replacing some of the other uh, welfare systems that we already I, have. I in said place. that was one option. The other option was raising taxes, but uh, no. But if you're if you're not replacing them, then yeah. you are causing inflation. Yeah, yeah. So so, so, so assume so assume that like there's something's some, got to some, give here. Yeah, yeah, yeah some something's got to give. So which which poison are you picking? Yeah. Yeah? Uh, <laughs> I have to I have to lock that, you into that, an answer here. Not replacing like like going through the taxes way. Yeah. On average, like you're still not expanding the monetary the, the money supply, so the inflation effect would be local to a certain number of goods. Um, but yes, let's assume that 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 you're replacing like welfare system for the sake of argument. Okay, okay. Um, so when you replace guys. that, right? Uh, then now you're going from a situation where you have sure you're giving people agency, but in specific cases you're doing something that would achieve more benefits for them, and you're switching over to a system where it doesn't necessarily do that. It that in fact causes a lot more people make a lot more bad decisions, right? Because previously you had people at least they have their food covered right they have the food stamps even if they are terrible with money at least they have their food stamps they're not going to go hungry yeah but if you don't give them food stamps just give them a thousand a month that causes a lot of problems you see my point here yeah yeah like a certain um, portion of the population might decide to go like gamble that money away and then what happens when they don't have money to eat what happens if they lose their food stamps that's 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 not the same thing. You can you can't you, use your food stamp to gamble. You can sell it to others. Sure. Certainly, surely there's a black market for it. Uh, I don't know if there's a big enough black yeah. market for it. Maybe something no, I'm small. No, I'm saying if you if you intend to like surely it's use easier to responsibly. Yes, it's yes. easier to use the cash more responsibly though. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah. It's also easier for the government to capture all of your income and yeah. then tell you how you should spend it more responsibly. No, of course we're not. We're there not talking is about nothing responsible about in spend like, like for a, a, any of the people in our in our uh, friends group to spend X amount of dollars on like alcohol for a particular festivity and, sure. and drink it. Surely, if you put that in, I don't know, like your your the, the, the TFSA, you would get a better return on investment. No, but, but it's different. If it's it, you're not. 
asking for other people's money. You're not asking to tax people more and then give that person, uh, redistribute that money to everyone else, right? Because that's not the purpose of why we're doing it. The reason why we tax people and we put in welfare systems is to help those in need get the help that they need, right? What we don't want is to encourage bad behavior. What we don't want is to facilitate bad behavior. We don't want to be an empowering element, right? We don't want to take money from others and then redistribute it just to empower people to make my, more my bad decisions. My point is, as a society, we're already, like, like, we're not playing the welfare game this optimally to have to worry specifically about a certain portion of the population. Like, the stimulus checks, yeah. a certain portion of them ended up in, in Dogecoin. That was not the government's intention. Mm. But in aggregate, overall, when it came down to covering essential goods and services. Yeah. I mean, no one families, says the stimulus package was perfect. No, yeah. But but all of the criticism I've heard about it was mostly around inflation and how on earth are we going to pay the debt that yeah, the government exactly. just added to the balance sheet. Um, and also, I, I think the rules could have been set up much better, the, the way they were set up. Probably. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I, um I wonder if you should, like, at some point within the next few minutes, actually, like, go into a neutral phase and start discussing potentially, like, sides of each other's argument that weren't mentioned during the call. We could do that. Sure, yeah. yeah. We can try we it have, out. like, 25 minutes, give or take. All right, sure, sure. Um, but let's just finish on this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I want to so? do two things before we, we, like, leave this one, which was, like, you mentioned work incentive. Yeah. And then the second part of automation, which is uh, this time could be different. And I have sure. some good arguments for why it might be different. Um but yeah, like in theory, if I drink myself to to oblivion every week, back in college, you could uh, you could call it an average payment year sure. day. Um, uh, no, no, mom and dad, I did not. I was a responsible student. Um, <laughs> uh, like, there's an argument that if you are in a universal healthcare system, this individual mm -hmm. is using someone else's tax dollars. To yeah. receive a healthcare service, but that's again, that's that's fine because that's, that's providing them with the ability to continue to engage in this uh, destructive behavior. Whereas if they not directly, not, not directly, right? By just perpetuating their life, we're not empowering them to make bad decisions. You're prolonging the period over which they can continue to make these bad decisions by just keeping them alive. You're saying we're responsible for no, their bad decisions. You can make the same argument about uh, any kind of unemployment benefit, which is that by providing somebody access yeah. to basic needs, no, well, you're well, actually prolonging the period over yeah. which they can go without uh, going after a job. No, I already agreed that it could be done much better. But you're talking yeah. about replacing this, and if you need to replace, if you want to replace the way it's done right now, you need to replace it with a a method that is more effective in those matters. So otherwise, why even replace it, right? Just because it's easier to administrate, that's not a good enough reason to go ahead and replace this. Especially when we have all these other issues that come up with it, right? With but insufficient also targeting. Other benefits. With, uh, yeah, sure. But sure I'm trying to say, uh, what I'm trying to say is, uh, it, are those benefits really uh, considerable enough over what we have already? That's what we're trying to figure out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, imagine if the... Uh, There's a loading screen. It's, loading a, screen? it's, a, it's, a, it's a more, more nuanced conversation because, like, it depends on who you're looking at. If you're looking at um, uh, the benefit for somebody who's not like, um, who's not necessarily super engaged, uh, and like, like, doesn't. It's like, oh, I should go like get my food stamps at this point. Oh, I should make sure that I like, like, talk to the representatives to yeah. make sure that like I provide them with enough documents that I'm in need of this thing. And then, oh, I should also like, like, refile my unemployment thing. Sure. Like, like, if you compare that individual versus like 
I, I as a as a as a citizen privilege, I always get a thousand bucks coming into my bank account. Mm-hmm. So if I lose my job, I have like like a bit of a grace period um with my you know savings or even just on the basis of this money to like feed myself or like you know like a family of i don't know like uh, the wife and the husband or like sure. the husband and the husband or any other combination can yeah. like still like like yeah careful to, 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 yeah, <laughs> to, to live um uh it's just still like like a system that yes it, it enables you mm. to to potentially like abuse it as an individual more but in aggregate it will deliver more or less the same same set of benefits if not better without all the hassle of all the other stuff we talked about around stigma around managing around mm. administration um around uh, requirements like imagine like having to be in a position of like oh should i like try and like take this job yeah. that i might get like laid off from in, in a month from now or should i keep my food stamps on unemployment benefits like mm. Not having to think about those or all those advantages in this type of scenario. Okay, so, so if I understand you correctly, you're saying that the fact that you don't have to uh, consider whether you should take the job or not is the benefit, right? Over what we have already, because yeah, right now you have to kind of remove a it, lot right? of complexity from yeah. from from the system while pretty much maintaining ninety percent of the benefits. Because like right now, you might think, okay, I could get a new job right now, but I I could just wait three more months for my employment insurance and then get the new job, right? So yeah. stuff like that doesn't happen. Exactly, you, yeah. like, like, which gives a good transition to the incentive part. Yeah. It's like, you know, is the incentive of having UBI any, any like, and, and not worrying about getting a job any, um, any worse than the incentive of staying on unemployment benefits when one is tied to you not having yeah. a job and the other one will just stack on well, top of Well, the difference is that, uh, Employment, uh, universal basic income is going to be there indefinitely, whereas employment insurance is limited, right? So, yeah. for six months or whatever in other countries they they have there, for that amount of period you're covered. But after that, that whole time you gotta be looking for a job, right? So you have an incentive to be looking for a job because you know this this is going to end. This is not going to last forever, right? So that's the difference. Well, why six months? Why not three or twelve? We can have that discussion, but yeah. the point I'm making is that it has to be definite, not indefinite. Right? I'm not saying necessarily it has to be six months, but having a deadline gives you some sort of an incentive to look for jobs and try to find something else to do, right? Whereas if you keep getting the same money over and over again indefinitely, you have less of an incentive to go out there, or at least you don't have your feet on the fire, right? You don't have a deadline to work to. You don't have a deadline in the same sense that, look, if you tell me that like, how do I put it? Like imagine you wanna go for a run, yeah. If you tell me there's a grizzly bear behind me, you're gonna get much greater incentive out of me to uh, uh, become like an athlete run, in no time. run, yeah, run faster. But uh, the solution to like getting people to run faster is not like putting a grizzly bear behind them. It's not sure. like 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 necessarily. I mean, it could th- be a good solution though. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like like putting a threat of losing access to the essential things you need to survive. Sure. Is not. I I don't think it's. It, there are some like. But that's not. That's not what it is like, though. Like, it's like, it's like. Uh. So for a couple of months, you're getting something that's comparable to what you were getting before. Yeah. But then after that. You're still not being left to die, what if six right? Six months is not sufficient. Sure, but then in those cases, you're still not being left to just starve. You still have all the other government all programs. The other, all the other programs are indefinite. It's only they are, they are, they are. But there's a little bit of a difference, right? Yeah. So with universal basic income, it's the same regardless. So it's a static line. Whereas uh, with 
employment insurance, right? For six months. First of all, you're covered better for those six months. So if you do actually repurpose your time and you find a better job, you're making a lot more from employment insurance in the meantime. And also, uh, the other thing is that there are different stages to it, right? So if you have something comparable to what you were earning before, right, right, or even something much more than what the government benefits offer for other people, uh, that kind of gives you a little bit more of an incentive because you know that cliff is coming, right? So you're still maintaining your way of living for another couple of months, but you know that it's going to crash at some point, right? I think we'll have to look up the data on that. I'm I'm not too convinced that 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 cliff is like as not having that cliff. Yeah, assuming that there are not those like adverse incentives in terms of like oh I make more money on this type of unemployment. Yeah, like, uh, like assuming those are not the case, I'm not sure the cliff is 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 uh, as strong of an incentive for somebody to like find a job. Um, because keep in mind, like whether it's UBL or unemployment insurance, we're talking about like a massive reduction in the person's income. You're like basically covering the basic but employment unless, insurance is un- much more than unless unless like the person is like like minimum wage employee yeah my main point is like i'm not like i'm not terribly certain that given that you don't lose the benefit yeah. that you're receiving that that has that severe of an impact uh on someone's uh incentive on, on the general population's incentive to go look for jobs that would still like produce greater uh income for them sure. especially given that they can stack it with ubi as opposed to you know replace unemployment insurance with with the new income like i don't think that's that's necessarily a given the main reason i don't think is that a lot of the other stuff that that in society we've presumed to act as deterrence and good hmm. incentive like for instance a bit of a segue but like the death penalty like the studies are like like relatively torn as to whether this really provides the incentive built or like time and time again you see like a government subsidy for a particular project and then um you you think that yeah just because the incentives are there you would get a particular behavior but you don't really see it so i'm not i mean but the incentive is there though right so that's what we're talking about we're talking about incentives how much it it manifests itself so you want want to talk about the influence that the incentive has is that uh your issue with the yeah my point is like like to me just based on the stuff i've read the biggest problem with with welfare states and how they potentially uh hinder the individual's um incentive to to like get off of welfare and move on mm. to like uh, some productive or like some other stage um, is primarily driven into the fact that a lot of those welfare states require you to be in a particular situation mm. and so you're always faced with the option of lose my current state sure. take risk and and try to get to a level and there's no guarantee that all like really okay i see what you're saying i see what you're saying so you're UBI saying yeah. is uniform um, uh, i see what you're saying so you're saying that because of welfare welfare because it's it ends when you get a job it could cause more uh of a lack of an incentive for you to get a job than yeah, having than UBI, yeah, yeah. okay sure that's fair i suppose uh but there are other ways where it could cause problems for incentives though so for example if you yeah, I'm sure, listening. Sure, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, if, you, uh, if you're receiving universal basic income, right? And uh, the, the other thing to keep in mind is that every single person will receive it. So if you're in a f- household of, let's say, four, you have a wife. And I don't know, do children get it in uh, your model? most systems would, would uh, every single person? At, at the adult at, age. When you yeah. get it all? Okay, okay. Both of you getting it, you could just live without ever working. Uh, especially in if you theory, live with your... Yes, yeah. which is, I would argue, a feature, not a bug. Because it means that if you lose, if both uh, heads of the family mm. lose their jobs, they don't starve. 
Um, and and it is a feature in that sense, but uh, we gotta also talk about the mental health aspect of it, right? The 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 thing again that I have a tough time uh, understanding is that um, there's a given here that if you give people the very basic essentials of living, that they don't care about working. Time. I'm not saying there's a given. I'm just saying there is a portion of the population who is like that. Is that fair? A considerable uh, portion. I would argue a very small po- po- portion. But yes, some people might be like that. Yeah. But uh, the key point is um, the vast majority, especially those like highly productive members of society, I don't think they care whether the, the, the impact of UBI uh, uh, has. has uh, I'll, I'll try to get closer. I don't it. think they care uh, whether the impact of like, like, where they have their essential services covered, they're still going to strive to like get to the next level, get bigger, and and usually they're also responsible for much of the economic output. I think you're country. projecting your own ambition onto other no, people. No, no. Uh, I mean, what what was it like the the produce principle or whatever it was? It was like basically eighty percent of the economic output is is driven by the top twenty percent of the uh, participants in the economy. Sure. Um, but that means that the other eighty percent are sometimes it's even worse. It's like like the school root of the population is responsible. Yeah, for the twenty. Happening. Like the member of society mm-hmm. that that gets UBI, which yep. again is universal basic income. Like yeah. like this is not balling. This is like of course, you won't of die from starvation. You won't die because of like a lack of access to antibiotics. Like like you'll barely survive. The individual who like takes that is like, oh yes, I would rather much like I would rather have that. Yeah. Than um, than like work a little. And supplement that income, not not hmm. replace it. Sure. For one, under the colonial welfare system, you're likely gonna have to spend more money on that individual. Sure. Versus like emergency services and so on. And for two, um, I don't necessarily think that not having that individual participate in the economy is as big of an economic hit than all the other advantages that UBA provides. Uh, that we've discussed. Okay, uh, so just before we uh, move on to the next thing, uh, do you want to address anything as far as insufficient targeting? Because you didn't really talk about that. No, I told you that like insufficient targeting c- comes comes with uh, with the territory that like. Yeah, uh, so you like, think it's fine? It's it's not a big issue. It, it's something that like like unless you go into a totalitarian state where you like, it's kind of like about where you basically put the agency on the individual to be able to make no, no not just for decisions. that like for example uh why are you paying millionaires a thousand dollars a month to do what why that's, are you pe- that's more like a feature of like just making the system super simplified because those millionaires yeah. are paying a lot more back in taxes okay yeah i suppose like if i if i give, if I give you 20 and you give me back 50 yeah it doesn't matter there's like a 30 i feel like i'm getting scammed i'm not gonna lie <laughs> yeah, the, yeah but like there's a 30 then and then well as a consequence of that ubi you're also like enjoying much greater levels of safety and okay so i suppose because so you're you're baking yeah. it into the tax system it's it's not yeah it, it goes back to like yeah. the universal uh healthcare thing which is like you know, why would the rich guy who can't easily pay out of pocket for every operation yeah. have to like still chip in for the for the universal healthcare insurance? Mm. It's part of the system. It, it makes it simplify. It makes the system operate as a whole. Yeah, instead we should send them a thousand a month and then take fi- five hundred thousand more from his taxes. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, uh, it's like progressive <laughs> taxation. This one's yeah. a social program. Uh, I suppose. Okay. Uh, uh, I, I wanna. Is there anything? Uh, no, it's okay. We can yeah. move on. Yeah. Uh, the automation one. It is not particularly clear, and I'll I'll try to keep this to three minutes so we can like do a do a wrap up. Sure. But it's not particularly clear that this thing would be the same. I hope it would be the same. But the key issue is that previous industrial revolutions, um, the first two, primarily focused on physical work, 
and and so you're talking about as far as the hollowing out of the job yeah, yeah, yeah. and and so right now we live in a society where physical work on behalf of an individual is is uh pretty much replaced by automation sure. there are areas where you have like to work with your hands like whether you're a plumber or a surgeon or an electrician and that's because our state of automation like this is actually uh, like replicating the the human hand is actually much more like an, a dexterity and intelligence problem than mm. it is like a, a power and an effort problem sure but no one's like like hiring the two of us to like move a ton of stuff yeah like, uh, around and the key difference here is that arguably the computing revolution somewhat did this by by uh, um enabling you to to uh, like generate a large set of computations and yeah. basically any any computation or any uh, mathematical problem um, that involved arithmetic could now be optimized exactly. and the cost of it was lower uh, this actually was was uh, enhanced productivity hmm. for knowledge work and and the stuff that required intellect um, here we're now dealing with the cost of intelligence insofar as it is about information processing and predicting uh, uh, Mm. Concepts based on based on previous patterns. Yeah, that cost is going lower. Yeah, I'm not terribly convinced that if this sigmoid, if the if the S curve we're looking actually surpasses the majority of humans uh, on on this curve, uh, putting aside all the like the existential and and misinformation, all the other issues that that yeah. thing like that would cause. Uh, Post truth era. I'm basically. not terribly convinced that on the other side of it. Uh, we might actually have enough jobs. There might be jobs involving like entertainment and human leisure yeah. and so on. Um, but we might actually like like if this escape surpasses human human intel like average human intelligence, then you're dealing with a situation where like a large co- sector of the population is may not even be trainable for the type of knowledge. There are always the things that uh, AI can't do. One was entertainment, you mentioned. So for example, humans want to watch humans play soccer. They don't want to watch yeah, robots yeah, play yeah, soccer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one. Uh, I mean, You could like put the soccer ball on a on a like a precision-guided missile and like go through the goalie. But no one, <laughs> no one like, wants to watch that. Exactly. Like, it, it, entertainment, especially those that are inherently human, yes, yeah. th- those would be safe. Entertainment will be safe. and There could be a lot of new forms of entertainment. Think of that. Uh, so we, we're limited to think of thinking of entertainment the way it is right now, right? Think of it this way: before the 1900s, no one knew what TV was, right? So yeah. that that's a new era that was that was supplemented by electricity being widespread, right? Uh, because of the industrial revolution, that's something that could happen. That led to a lot of people becoming actors for TV or stuff like that, right? So there will always be th- stuff that we can't even conceive of. Uh, and it's not just for entertainment either. Uh, creativity is another, another one. Uh, so this is something that uh, someone proposed. Creativity is a bit difficult. It is murky. Uh, Our it, own logo was <laughs> generated by a diffusion model at uh, some level. That is true, that is true, uh, <laughs> that is true. Uh, but uh, I just want to point this out is that just because AI is able to imitate an art style doesn't mean that it can come up with an art style of its own. So, for example, you can get AI uh, to imitate Van Gogh, but okay. you can't get we're AI to be Van Gogh. Uh, 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 what I suspect is a wonderful episode on the is AI and that good or that negative. Um, it's yeah. difficult. Yes. Uh, At least it's not clear whether that's Current systems have an issue in terms of generalizing outside of the, the distribution of the data they have already seen. Yeah. Arguably, the way ChatGPT solved it was that instead of trying to solve the out-of-distribution learning problem, they just trended on the entire exactly. yeah. internet, made made Everything. human knowledge the distribution. So yes, like like there's still a very big unknown to what extent these la- large language models will be able to do independent, for instance, research in, yeah. in a range of scientific topics. But nevertheless, even assume that like, yes, we have so- some jobs left, 
But for the vast majority of the population, they either have to like become entertainers. Now, yeah. becoming an entertainer is not easy. Or an influencer. To become yeah, of, of course, of course. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, Leave us a um, like down below if you enjoyed this video. <laughs> nevertheless, that means that, again, we, we go back to the problem of like, you have automation in all other sectors. Yeah. So you have to somehow give people the ability to um, participate in purchasing various forms of entertainment. And unless they're also entertainers themselves, in which case we have a purely entertainment economy, which I wouldn't know exactly how that works because there's yeah. only so many hours in a day. Sure. Um, unless we, we somehow build a model for that, to me it's like the, the solution in that environment is universal basic income and then a number of subsectors, including entertainment, including uh, like competitive sports, including like purely human endeavors, um, that then, yes, you get to participate and if you're better at it, you get to consume more of that universal basic income from others coming to you, so you have like greater purchasing power in, in terms of your own entertainment, but it, it's like... There's it, one it, one dissonance there though, uh, so you're saying that uh, AI is probably going to, you're using two things to help your argument, which aren't necessarily compatible, so one is that you're saying AI is going to potentially replace a lot of jobs, we may not yep. be able to replace a lot of those uh, because, you know, other than entertainment or stuff, stuff like that, and the solution we basic income, so that's one argument you have the other one was that we're going to tax everyone a little bit more, and that's going to be where we get the money for it. But if there are going to be you, less people have, working... If you have automation at a level that it has significantly replaced jobs to the extent yeah. that there's, there are good chunks of the then population at that, point, that yeah. you can't train anymore... Traxing more isn't uh, going to supply the money. In that case, the only form of taxation is about taxing the fundamental like the companies, and companies maybe? that control these models. What if they go with. offshore? More importing now, taxes? Now, now we're getting into an area, but I suspect that if you reach that level, and and yeah. a lot of a lot of the other issues that could happen with with that level of intelligent AI hasn't ha occurred, then there's a very strong case in terms of turning access to those types of models, mm. uh, the same way we deal with utilities, which that they effectively become citizen rights. Uh, mm. the, the, okay. the, the company loses the same type of power in terms of moving around, mm. but they also, in many ways, become monopolies uh, in this space. Um, uh, but if you get to that level, then uh, like you have to. Yeah, that's a very, very. Uh, it's a. It's, it's hard to imagine what would happen there. Like you have to come up with a, a new economic model, and again, UBI is like a simple one. Just maybe we'll get ChatGPT to design us a new model. Yeah, <laughs> there yeah, you go. Who knows? Maybe the AI like. Or maybe they'll just maybe they'll just replace all of us yeah. and just uh, terminate us all. You know. Yeah, or or, or maybe we just like get to like a certain level of like, um, like I don't know, like a, a an over automated uh, socialist utopia where like the money just. Vanishes. I don't know, man. Anytime anyone uses the word utopia, utopia. it usually doesn't end well. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. All right, so that's about it. Do you have any final thoughts yeah, yeah. before we wrap up? So, so uh, I think we should start by wrapping up that like good discussion. Um, and and I'll I'll let you do the outro. But before we we go there, um, stuff too important to recognize is that like like we're both in this discussion trying to uh, like defend one side, but we're also gaining a better understanding of the other side. Absolutely. I think before the discussion, I told you that like after researching this, I've actually become like much more moderate than yeah. the previous position I had. Exactly. Some of the stuff we didn't mention, like I think one of the biggest, as, as the guy arguing pro, and it's sure. probably personally on the pro side. Um, Don't give that away. No no more. All right, no this more. is the only time. Okay. First episode. That was a, that was a, uh, from this point onwards, yeah. I'm not going to tell. Yeah, but like one uh, of the biggest things, I think biggest downsides of UBI that we didn't mention that yeah. would uh, probably like need the entire thing. You're really pissed that I mentioned that. No, it's fine, it's fine. Go on. Um, uh, is about uh, fraudulent activity. 
Um, okay. We clearly, both like COVID stimulus across Canada, but especially across the United States, proved that we don't necessarily have the level of institutions necessary to be able to distribute this level of money without uh, a good component of, of it going to fraud. And so any kind of system would have to s- sm- start small, have localized and, and distributed levels of governance to mm-hmm. be able to like like make sure. And I would suspect that in doing so, citizens might have to forego some of their privacies, like privacy freedoms right now that they have. For instance, they might have to like like a uh, specific associated particular bank account with themselves mm. or, or some transactions and so on. Uh, it's estimated that up to 20% of the COVID stimulus checks that were written could have gone to fraud. So absent institutions that protect against that, uh, you can create a market for, for fraudulent activity very quickly. Mm. One that is dealing with hard cash, which is much more attractive than, say, food stamps, or, or arguably a, a similar market uh, occurs with uh, unemployment. But that's besides the point. But outside of that, uh, good discussion. I Very suspect good, like good. there are a few future episodes coming up on, on some of this stuff. We just oh yeah, hundred percent. We did some previews in there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was about it. What do you guys think? Uh, that was our thoughts, not our views necessarily, not what we think, but uh, what we had to defend and the points that we could bring up for yeah. the position that we had to defend. Uh, let us know in the comments down below. If you haven't done so already, make sure to smash the subscribe button down below and join the community. Uh, it's gonna be a fun podcast. We're gonna do a lot of different topics here we're gonna try go a little bit more controversial maybe sometimes go into some cancelable territory but remember it's on our own opinion so uh, it's just free discussion uh but yeah it could be a lot of fun stuff so if you want to check that stuff out make sure you're subscribed to the channel or if you're listening to the audio only format then leave us a five-star review there while you're at it why not uh i'm shervin house this is payment Yes, and and before we go off, you could also potentially comment some of the topics you would like to uh, us to cover uh, in the in the near term future. I'm I'm scared Just what they're gonna comment. Don't turn our podcast into like cancellation speed run podcast. Yeah, exactly. Please, <laughs> we would love to maintain our other careers. Please, please nothing going. too hot. Uh, yes. Let's let's go, let's start yeah. a little bit more moderate. But yeah, if you have any uh, thoughts, if you have any uh, recommendations, let us know. And that's about it for this episode. Thank you so much for yeah. joining me, Thanks, and I will sir. see you. In the next one. Cheers.